McNulty stunning for Emilio to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts no, from Bosby. are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hi Pompey fans and welcome to PO Forecast episode 62. We're at seven wins in a row in all competitions for the Blues and joining me on the podcast, returning again, co-host of the PO Forecast is Freddie Webb. How are you Freddie? I'm doing very well Hugh, how are you? I'm good, a little tired I'm honest mate since we are recording this uh, late after the Lincoln game, a little bit of time to digest the result and we thought we'd delay it a little bit so the uh, the listeners could hear our analysis on Lincoln as well. Yeah, precisely. I'm a bit knackered as well. I was just on Love Sport Radio giving a little thing for the Portsmouth Fan Show. That was really cool. And I um, finished off writing my piece for Pompey News Now this morning. So yeah, <laughs> since my exam deadlines are done, that's what I've been doing for the past couple of days. All action for us then, mate, isn't it? So hopefully we can bring you guys a good show. So in part one, we're going to be reviewing the amazing win over Barnsley. Following up with that, we're going to go and talk about reviewing the Lincoln game, which we've literally just watched. Um, then we went out to you guys, asked the question, um, which really came from the Barnsley game, and it was that how about how Andy Cannon looked like an actual natural number 10. Is Cannon your automatic starter at 10? And if so, who do you want to see starter striker against Sunderland? And that brings us on to the preview of, of course, the team I was just talking about, Sunderland. Right, Freddie. Let's get into it, mate. Uh, Barnsley, it was, first of all, being there in the ground, the atmosphere was was pretty incredible, actually. Um, one of the better atmospheres of the season, especially considering there's only about 13,000 fans inside Fratton Park. And, you know, the players rose to the occasion against a championship team who definitely weren't at their best. And Pompey made them look incredibly ordinary. Oh, precisely, yeah. It was Ports- It was easily Ports' best performance of the season but yeah they made a championship team look as if they were they're a mid-table team in league one it was that it was that it was that good but i was very impressed with how ports have played and the changes in tactics now from where you were in october uh light years away from each other no exactly it was one of those games i suppose where and the thing that really stuck out for me freddie was how we pressed so well from the front and it's something that me and you have talked about quite a lot on the podcast isn't it really about how the players have to get out and press high and you know get on the front foot in games and and never stop you know never stop running and pressing and was that something that impressed you in particular oh precisely that was the main thing the main thing for me was uh, was the pressing off the ball that that allowed for Portsmouth to dictate the play, pick out the passes that they wanted, and make use of Portsmouth's best effort. Asset is all, all, 
all the players in the starting 11, they all give 110% every game. Even if you've watched games where Portsmouth weren't very good, I don't. I think there are very, very few times you could have said that the Portsmouth players weren't trying. It utilises what they're good at in terms of closing the players down, getting in those duels in the midfield, and then picking out, picking out a more direct pass for players to run into space. And that was that was the killer for me. Portsmouth always want to pass forward or uh, you can't say they're conservative in that regard they always want to put a uh, push forward and now they always want to move off the ball as well which was something which is a week as we mentioned back in october so yeah ex- excellent performance really and let's get into it, i suppose into the six goals to go through uh ben close's goal it was a great little move wasn't it by andy cannon to be very patient on the ball before squaring it to ben close who when you when he gets into that position you just think you know, he's got a really good chance of finishing it from there, isn't he? Oh, always, always. I'm glad he's now given that license to go forward again and be that proper, well, nowadays, seemingly a proper box-to-box midfielder. Both Close and Cannon, they don't look like people's natural assumptions of what playmakers would be. But with Cannon playing higher up the pitch at, at the number 10 and linking play with the left-hand side, that 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 was how Ben Close got that space to be able to be able to take take the ball out of his feet and put in an excellent strike into the bottom corner. That is one of the main reasons why Portsmouth was so good in this game. It was that Close was given license to go forward and create chances for himself and Andy Cannon helped with that leaps and bounds. And just when you think that you know, with Pompey sometimes and not as much at home, we'll come on to away from home, but you know, we score a goal against the team, a championship side, you know, and you think maybe they try and sit back a little bit or rest on their laurels. And <laughs> that, would exactly. have given me that would have given me nightmares if that happened. I, 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 would, I wouldn't have wanted to watch Portsmouth sit back from 20 minutes at 1-0. That would have been horrible. In his post-match, Kenny, Kenny said that, oh, whenever the team drops back, it's not a tactical change from my view. It's, it's not tactically, it just happens. He said it's very hard to control 90 minutes of football, which is true. But sometimes the way that Portsmouth sort of drops so deep, you just got to think, are you sure you're not asking for this sort of thing? There's still a debate around that for me. No, I think there's definitely a debate around it. But maybe coming out in the press and saying it so clearly, I don't know, maybe that's indications of the players to to try and get up there or... I don't I've, know, got, but... I've got a direct quote with me if you want it. Yeah, read it. <laughs> right, he said in his post-match interview, which is available on YouTube as well, on the normal ports of thing, he said, you never intend to hold back as a manager. It is not a tactic necessarily. Sometimes the other side just come back into the game. It's hard to dominate for 90 minutes. I just don't think that's true. But at the same time, <laughs> it, <laughs> it's nice for him to come out, though, and say that, isn't it? Even it's nice to address that sort of thing instead exactly. of instead of um, leaving it in the cold like he did earlier in the season with most of his tactical, you know, the tactical debates around him. No. Yeah, exactly. But Pompey didn't do that this time. Uh, they went on and pressed forward. Um, and, you know, it was a goal that was credited to John Marquis from the corner, but really, I suppose, credit goes to Ronan Curtis, isn't it, for the header? Oh, absolutely. It was an excellent header and great and great delivery from Steve Seddon as well. What, his, 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 his dead ball distribution with his left foot, it reminds me of Dion Donahue, but Seddon can also do uh, do the defensive, the defensive work really well and make those progressive runs and link up with Ronan Curtis like Lee Brown did, except Steve Seddon. There's much a much better technical footballer already. Well, what do you think about how he's done so far? No, he's done incredible, isn't he? I think um, 
think it was a stat the I think Liam Howes put up actually or something about in five games creating was, I can't remember if it was six or seven seven uh, goals from his uh, left foot from Dem. He's been involved or, an awful lot. I'll, I'll I'll have to look into that as well. But he's been been involved with most goals and going to the Lincoln game. It, it was it was his run into the penalty area that won the penalty. So. He, he's, he's, a, he's a breath of fresh air at left back for me. Yeah, he's so dynamic on that side, and we've talked about it a bit here, but he gives that option, doesn't he? And he, he makes Ronan Curtis a lot more a, a lot more of a threat, really, because giving that extra threat going round him um, means that defenders actually you know have a lot to think about, and it gives Ronan Curtis that a little bit more space to work in as well, doesn't it? Oh, precisely. Yeah, it also helps with the rest of the midfield because. Um, in the article I wrote about the Barnes game, there, uh, there were a lot of free pass combinations on that left-hand side between Seddon and Curtis. But also, Seddon with Close, Seddon with Naylor, Curtis with Naylor, Curtis with Close, and Andy Cannon as well. The ma- the majority of the passing combinations were on that left-hand side, with the left-hand side and the midfield being close together and then linking it through direct passes. That is something that Portsmouth have needed for a long time this season. Full-backs that are defensively responsible, but can also support the midfield and the wingers. And, and uh, I think it was uh, John Marcus, you saw the gif after the game and he quoted it with, um, unlucky <laughs> um, to Ronan Curtis. Oh, he I looked a that. little bit stroppy at first, didn't <laughs> that, he? That reminded me of David Nugent stealing Jermaine Defoe's goal against Andorra. Oh, I thought that as well. Only, when he went, it is only yep. cap for England, and he was so Long happy cap. about it as well. As you would be, it, it, it would be the exact sort of thing that I would do. But <laughs> no, yeah, I think I, 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 I don't I'm mind. A lot less talented than Nugent, but still, I get, I get the gist on it. Oh, precisely. No, I don't mind Major Marcus doing that at all. He's a natural goal scorer, but also he helps so much off the ball as well. Some of his link-up play can be questionable at times. We'll go on to that in the Lincoln game. But in the Barnsley game, he ran, he ran himself to the ground, linked up with Andy Cannon really well, put in the odd through ball to Ryan Williams on the right-hand side as well, and generally made himself a nuisance, even though he's not that archetypal target man centre-forward, which Kenny Jackett has used in that system a lot. It was a different look, wasn't it, for a Kenny Jackett side, having Marcus playing up front with Cannon behind, rather than the sort of Ellis Harrison sort of target man approach. It's sort of... Yeah, you know, force Pompey to play a bit of a higher press up the field. Mm, precisely, and I think I think that was why it helped out a lot. I think, well, you, I think you'd be able to do the same thing if Ellis Harrison was playing as an as a number nine. But whether Kenny Jackett would do that is another matter entirely. But no, John Mark John Marcus is playing a lot better as the number nine. He shouldn't play the number ten ever again, which I don't want to see him do that because it was, it was clearly uncomfortable for him having to drop so deep. And, and well, Cannon can do that. Uh, and it helps link up the midfield so much better than previously. Yeah, and John Marcus, actually, we all know he works really hard up front, um, but he also got that opportunity where he sort of closed the keeper down and he nearly got a goal. I think the the Barnsley fans who I know who were behind the goal said it was literally about, you know, half a foot, a foot wide. Yeah, yeah, that was very unlucky from him and exactly what a good centre-forward should be able to do. It just showed how rattled they were, wasn't it, really, throughout the game. And Pompey put so much pressure on. Um, I think it's little things like, you know, the throw-ins, keep pressuring, you know, Curtis is really up for the game. They essentially tried to stop them playing through how high the press was. Because it was obvious that, in my analysis, Barnsley made a lot more passes. 
but and shorter passes, but that's because they wanted to try and hold possession. But the fact that Ports were pressed so much that um, possession stats were basically 50-50. If Ports have sat back in that game, I would have been really worried, and they probably wouldn't have won the game for me, considering how good Barnsley are on the ball and their attacking movement up front with Chaplin and Mowat and, and Woodrow and so on. But no, as we've already said, that high press was integral for Ports of winning that game. And I hope it's used in the league from now on. Yeah, same here. Especially especially at home, don't you think? With the, the unbeaten form at home. You just got you just really want the players to, oh, well, to come well, out well, and, exactly. and go at them. Yeah, exactly. You know, it, it, sometimes in the odd away game, you can't do that. If, if we're playing a very, very good team away from home, I, I, I don't blame them for not doing not to go in the high press. Kenny Jacket mentioned that again. He said in his post-match, when you're at home, you've got to go at teams. And that's precisely what they did. I've got to say, though, as well, was the, you know, so we get the goal, we go in at halftime. Um, it's 2-0. And then from absolutely nowhere, Cordry Woodrow gets that strike from, from distance. And it just, it hits the back of the net. And it was quite surprising, really. And it's difficult to see from the Fraternum whether Alex Bash should have got a hand to that or whether it just completely whips around him. What was oh, your no, thoughts on that? Oh, no way. That was an unstoppable goal. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I don't blame Bass for, not sa- for saving that. I don't. Those sorts, of, those sorts of goals happen. We've seen them loads of times. You just got to pick yourself up afterwards, which you did. There was a shaky spell a couple of minutes afterwards. I think it was Brown. I can't remember the I can't remember the Barnsley player's name, but no, he was in the middle of the penalty area. It was Brown. Yeah, it was Brown. It, it, yeah. it was it was a cross it was a cross penalty area ball straight to him, and, it, and he missed for about six yards. And if that went in, it would be an entirely different game. But no, he and just it, had it, to open his body up, didn't he, a little bit more? So it was. Oh yeah, precisely. Flat, he, 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 kick, he could yeah. he could have also he could have also hit it across goal if he'd opened his body up, hit it across goal. I, I wouldn't. Expected Bass to save that, but then we get the most archetypal Kenny Jacket goal for the uh, for Portsmouth's third to make it three-one, don't we? Yeah, and I think Alex Bass there, he he um probably got uh, a little bit of bragging rights to Craig McGivery, didn't he? He's probably seen him do it before last season, and he just gets that ball straight up route one. Uh, it bounces through, and and Ronan Curtis manages to to you know stab it home. It was awful defending from the Barnsley centre back. Oh, it was horrendous. To be yeah, who I think they brought in. He's supposed to be quite decent, and you know, yeah, yeah, it was really um, poaches yeah. it. Yeah, Sol Bauer from um, Admira Vaca in the Austrian league, who's also captain. I think he's captain for Austria for the Austrian national team as well. Supposedly very experienced centre half, but he got outmuscled by Roland Curtis, which is pretty embarrassing for him. But no, yeah. Curtis, Curtis made very much made the most out of that chance and slipped it under the goalkeeper. Yeah, and only two minutes after uh, Woodrow scored that goal, which really just going to show how determined the team were, weren't they, to, to get that win? Uh, precisely, absolutely. Yeah, no, no the, the only time they stopped was in the last quarter of an hour when a couple of subs were made, and it was clear that the players were knackered. That's probably why they let their foot off the gas and dropped deeper in the end, because they were spent. And that's going to happen when you play such a, such a high press against, against strong opposition at home. Then the man who absolutely made my day steps up with an absolute bullet of a header towering at the back post in front of the Fratton end. Um, he goes to his knees and slides in front of the Fratton faithful, Christian Burgess. Um, you know, what a time he's having at the moment and gets his second goal of the season. Oh, precisely. Yeah, he said he's always wanted to do that. But it's celebrating in front of the Fratton end and it was great to see. It was, again, a, a lovely corner. Was that by Steve Sedden as well? I think it was Sedden as well, yeah. <laughs> 
it, it, easily unmarked and towered over the centre half of the back post, marking him. No chance whatsoever. Excellent goal. And of course, made me £53. Oh, yeah. Uh, always nice. Always a bonus. Yep. From a £3 bet. So obviously, I did the modest thing, you know. I got my phone at the end. I zoomed into the scoreboard, sent it as a picture of the video to my boss and um, sent him the receipt of showing him my 53 quid, which literally <laughs> meant that meant that I had a particularly good day, really, mate. To oh, I'm not surprised. I bet, he, I bet he must have asked for a beer afterwards as well. No, didn't ask for anything, mate. Straight off. And um, But yeah, absolutely amazing game. Uh, we'll have to move on now, though. So we want to go and talk about the Lincoln game as well. Um yeah, Lincoln game. It's just fresh Very in my different. mind now. Let's get it out there. Completely different game, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. No, um, we'll get on to this. Uh, again, the high press was used a lot of the time, which I, which I appreciate. But the main problem was that for, for a lot, for so much of that game, maybe even 75 minutes of that game, both sides, very scrappy, aimless passing, uh, passing not working out at all. Very direct from both sides as well, more direct than for Portsmouth in the Barnsley game. I think it just comes down to a lack of patience. I know Portsmouth, uh, Portsmouth well, as soon as they get the ball, it's like, right, what's the most direct uh, direct route? What's the uh, who's who's making the best run? And we have to pass now, it, 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 but that's not that wasn't the case. We were one up against Lincoln, who weren't offering a lot when we were doing this sort of thing and giving the ball away a lot. It, um, Guy Whittingham said it on the radio. It's just a tiny, a tiny bit more patience, a tiny bit more games management in those sorts of games. Against Barnsley, I don't mind, because it was clear that Barnsley were unhappy with the press and the and the and the amount of direct passing that Portsmouth did. Whereas Lincoln are more used to it because they play in League One against a lot of teams that do the same thing. So I think a tiny bit more patience for me in terms of the performance. But apart from that, we grinded a two 0 win away from home. I'm not going to complain that much. No, not at all. And I think the game management skills towards the end of the game were actually a lot better, weren't they? You know, keeping the ball in the corner, winning the throw-ins, winning yeah, the free kick. And, and, also, and also with Seddon's run, he, he he made it when he had space. There was no, there was no, there was no um, opposition right-back or centre-half near him. So, so that was the perfect time to make, make a run into the penalty area, maybe um, put in a low cross to Marcus, who was in the middle. No, that's, that's what he should do. It, it, they picked the right decisions. In the in the last in extra time, and I'm sure that will make Kenny Jacket and Joe Gallon particularly happy that they've managed to close out that game without conceding that. Well, I suppose what's a bit of a signature Pompey goal, isn't it at the moment? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Precisely. Yeah. Yeah. Massively. So just going over the first goal, you know, it's a free kick. You know, one by um, who won the free kick, Freddie? Uh, Is it Seddon? <laughs> yes, it was. Yep, it was Seddon because it was it, it, it was Seddon and Cur- it was Seddon Curtis um, over the ball. I thought it was going to be Seddon with his left foot into in, into the larger gap from the goalkeeper, but no, it was Ronan Curtis on his right foot. Not sure if it took a deflection or if it was just the um, player moving out of the wall away from it. It looked like it nicked him, if I'm honest. From yeah, from I, I, what thought, I saw. I, I thought it did as well, and it, but it was on the keeper's side, so he it, Vickers might not be very happy about that either. But no, essentially it was it was it wasn't against the run of play. But I didn't expect either team to score in the first half with the way no, they played. It was such a a drab first half, really, wasn't it? And I suppose if you're if you if you flip flop it round, if you're the home fan, then you're sort of going to be a bit more frustrated by the fact that 
you're going in possibly at nil nil nothing's being created you know you're looking stale you know Lincoln were on a really good run weren't they of winning five games in a row at home so you know Pompey went out there and frustrated them in the first half manages to get that goal from you know a bit of class from Ronan Curtis and then stepped it up in the second half Oh, precisely. Uh, uh, Ronan Curtis again, and Steve said, and uh, uh, some of the best players on the pitch. Andy Cannon play. Re- Andy Cannon also played really well at number ten, not as well as against Barnsley because I think he he lost the ball a tiny bit too much. But no, it's still a strong performance from from most of the players. But uh, who would your man of the match be if you had to choose? Um, I'm going to go Curtis, said and Raggett. In that order, oh, I'm not, I'm not sure who my man of the match would be actually. As much as I don't like, uh, uh, as much as I do criticise him, I thought Sean, Sean Raggett had an excellent game. There was that one moment where he got turnstiled on the right wing with, with, when Tyler Walker breezed past him, and I thought, "Oh God, it's going to happen again." But most of the time, a lot of Lincoln's attacks were either cro- uh, cr- was crossing or or um, lo- or low passes to the striker and the winger. So, uh, and Raggett gobbles up those easily. He's he's a no nonsense centre half. So when you give him too many opportunities like that, he's fine. When mm. you are when you ask him to have more than five seconds on the ball, or if if you have a fast winger dribbling at him with pace and in space, then obviously that you might have some issues. But I thought he played exceptionally well today. No, completely. I, I thought Racket played very well at the back as well. As you said, there was that one moment he got skinned, but. Generally speaking, I thought it was very solid. And as you say, Lincoln played a very direct style of football, didn't they, up top? And if you're oh, yeah. if, if you, if you, if you up to our, to our back line. Playing. Sorry, if you thought Ports were playing long ball, then what were Lincoln playing? <laughs> the most One of the most route one teams I've ever seen play against Ports, honestly. But no, they did, uh, the players dealt with that really well. So did James, James Bolton, actually. Again, he, he had another solid performance at right back, and he's pretty much nailed on for that right back spot now unless we bring in somebody else in the window no I thought he looked very solid as well I think I think the team all round looked pretty solid I don't think anyone had a, a particularly bad game it was one of those it was definitely a game of two halves in the in the sense of drab first half with a with a magical mm. goal from Ronan Curtis um, and then stepped up and the intensity really stepped up didn't it in the second half you know both teams wanted to come out and you know improve on that you know, awful first half, I suppose. And, uh, you know, Pompey managed to come out on top. I don't think they actually had a shot on target, did they? No, they didn't. I, I think the only thing Bass had, to, Bass had to do was claim a cross. And that's about it. No, there was, yeah, that, was, there was that period There was that period of 15 minutes where both teams had a couple of chances around the 75th minute, if I remember. But then again, both teams didn't create that much. <laughs> but, their, their, um, their striker did have a moment, I think, where... I can't remember his name there now, mate, but the 18-year-old for Arsenal, he's on loan. Jules. And, yeah, that's it, Jules. And the ball came into the box and he had a really central, yeah, lot of time, and he, and he the, actually skied it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, boo-hoo for him, but all good for us, mate. Um, John Marquis, the penalty. That was... Excellent pen. Calm. <laughs> calm, wasn't it? Even the celebration was calm as he just slowly uh, walked yeah. over to the fans. But it was absolutely perfectly placed. Um, watching it, I actually thought the keeper might get down. You know, the keeper goes the right way. He didn't hit it really hard, but he just hit it perfectly into that uh, corner spot. Right, and, yeah, it was right it, in that spot where it hits the side netting before the back, where all good penalties would go. If Brett Pittman scored that penalty, everybody would be losing their mind by now. But yeah, no, I, I, again, I thought John Marcus had an okay game. Again, not as good as in the Barnsley game, but 
that that extra dynamic of him being at number nine, I think that helps a lot. And you could, it's not even the fact that you've dropped Ellis Harrison for being poor. It's just that um, in that game, I thought John Marcus played really well. If you play against a really bruising team with two huge centre halves, like against Shrewsbury or something, you might want an Ellis Harrison to play there, and that's fine. It's just that I'm glad that Portsmouth have options now and a depth in the squad rather than last season where they had an excellent starting 11, but beyond that, you'd think, oh, what if X, X or Y player gets injured? That's where the issues would come from. No, completely. And I think John Marquis today was just a little bit isolated up front, wasn't he, against Lincoln? And mm, I would say and then, so, yeah. He gets a little bit flustered then, and he you know, a couple of, especially in the first half, a couple of touches weren't going right, were they? Mm. I think maybe the team was riding on a bit of a high from the Barnsley game, and a couple of maybe a little bit overzealous moves. Um, that back heel in the first half. Oh yeah, I remember that back heel. Just, if that if that came off, that would have been an, an excellent pass, but obviously not. It was probably the wrong decision. He could he probably could have t- uh, taken the ball out of his feet on the strong foot, and then play and then played the ball to the right winger who was Williams, but. Hey ho! It, it, it doesn't mean a lot now since since Portsmouth got the win and the three points. No, exactly. And um, yeah, happy days, mate. Happy days. Can't ask more than that. Uh, Pompey up into sixth place, obviously from from the win today, which is into the playoffs, Freddie. And hey. you know, look back into what look back into October. You know, we probably didn't think we were going to be here, did we? Oh, a million miles away. What was the lowest position we were? Nineteenth. I think it was the yeah. lowest. We might have been in the, I'm not sure if we're in the rally. Is it rally zone or not? But no, I, I, I'm so glad that this team was able to pull, pull themselves out of the doldrums by playing better football, playing a familiar but slightly different brand of football, which was more effective. And I'm happy for Kenny Jacket that it's worked out for him, honestly. As much as in, in October, we were all saying he should have been sacked or replaced or whatever. But, but no, he... he, he, he sh- it's um, added to the faith that the board have shown in them. Yeah, it's worked out, hasn't it, so far? So just looking at the table, you've got Rotherham, 28 games, 50 points. Wickham, 28 games, 50 points. Ipswich in third, 28-48. Uh, Peterborough played 29 games, 46. And then Cov, 26-45. And then Pompey in six to round off the playoff places with 26-44. So... It's only four points separating us and Ipswich in third. And also, and if you look at those teams, are, two you, games really, in hand. are you really <coughs> worried about any of those teams if they played Portsmouth? Really? I think I think Rotherham's the best team out of them and they're top of the table, but Portsmouth have beaten them already. And you, you look at those teams, you think, oh, they've got one aspect of their game that's really good, but then they've got weaknesses. For example, Peterborough, They've got all the options going forward, but then even with strong fullbacks like Dan Butler and Nathan Thompson, their defending wasn't very good against Portsmouth last time we played them. So I'm not I'm not worried about any of the opposition that Portsmouth might have to come up against. The only thing I'm worried about is maybe if Kenny Jacket changes his tactics back to the way they were and it doesn't work, or if, for example, we don't sign another centre half or right back in January with a couple of days left, and we get bad. Uh, bad run of injuries or quite simply if we play too many games again because this is another season where Portsmouth will probably play over 60 games because of the extra um, FA Cup round the fact that we're already in the semi-final of that awful trophy that I don't want to mention and the extra round of the League Cup as well 
<laughs> it's not Moaning the FA about Cup. Liverpool. It's not the FA Cup, though. Leave me alone. It's not that bad. But no, it, no, no, no. I'm not saying the FA Cup. I said, yeah, Jurgen Klopp. I know. I know. I know what you're referring to. <laughs> yeah, such a moaner about it, mate. But let's let's be honest, yeah. Let's talk about the FA Cup quickly because Pompey are into the fifth round of the FA Cup. And just in case you've been living under a stone or camping somewhere in the New Forest without any access to a mobile device until right now, Pompey have drawn Arsenal at home. Um, I'm sure people want to get tickets for that in particular. And I heard news will come out at a later date. So, you know, Arsenal at home. Are you happy with that? Home draw? Yes and no. Well, well, I I think... uh... I think it's always great for a Premier League, for a high-ranking team to come to Fratton Park. The atmosphere will be rocking. It'll be a sellout, which is usually a good thing. The only thing I would have liked, uh, maybe seeing it up against a, str- a strong Premier League team away from home, so we get uh, we sort of get more money in gate receipts. But that's not really that big of a deal. But that would have been a little bit extra. Or for me, if the, if it was a Northern away game like a Sheffield Wednesday, just so I could go, <laughs> be very selfish. But no, but no, I like the draw against Arsenal and. Uh, it's a free hit. Uh, I, I will enjoy the game. Ports hopefully will play, will make a good account of themselves, and we'll just see what happens. Yeah, it was a little bit nail biting, wasn't it? When it came down to the draw, oh, was, yeah, like, we nearly the drew, last four. Yeah, nearly drew the scum or Spurs, which would have just been typical, wouldn't it? <laughs> I didn't want to play them again, mate. Particularly after no, what absolutely. happened earlier in the season, so. Just for my emotional stress, mate. You know, I was like going grey and all that kind of <laughs> stuff going on, just just covering the game, not anything else. But no, good good draw against Arsenal, as you say, it's a complete free hit. So we'll just have to see where it goes, really. But hopefully, have a bit of fun, and then if we're out after the fifth round, okay, we can move on with our lives and the rest of the season in League One. If not, then we're probably going to get another fantastic tie and maybe we get to play against one of those big northern teams freddie so you can help yeah, cover it for us very precisely now uh, and also Portsmouth have received a lot of money from cup competitions this year haven't they i think last season mm. they got last season they got over a million in total and i think ports have already reached i think it was in the news six hundred fifty thousand pounds from cup right, competitions okay. extra and and jacket alluded to oh it might be used for january to sign new players and i thought well probably not <laughs> but it's all. It, it's nice for Pompey to gain a bit, a, a couple of extra funds by running, going deep in cup competitions. It's always nice, but ho- hopefully they can use it for things that the club actually need, like an under twenty three team, or improving youth facilities, or increasing academy status. So, so many things, but it's, it's always nice that Pompey go deep, deep in cup competitions and take them seriously. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, you're on the same page about um, info investing in infrastructure and what we think needs to be done with the academy setup but we won't go into that too much today because quite frankly we haven't got time for people to listen to me go on about that right now exactly um okay let's go out to the question we put out to you guys again thank you as always for you know tweeting in there's loads of responses we'll try and get through as many as we can but you know it really makes the show so thanks again everybody so freddie andy cannon the guy that you wrote an article about looks like the natural number 10 well, part of the article you wrote about, um, with a superb game against Barnsley, is Cannon your automatic starter at 10? And if so, who do you want to play out front with him? Absolutely. Okay, well, first of all, to say the first bit of the question, Cannon should always start at number 10 unless he's injured. Um, I watched him at Bolton away, if anybody went to that game. Pulse were awful for about 50 minutes. And as soon as Andy Cannon, aimless long ball, 
until about the 50th minute, it was dreadful. But then Andy Cannon came on, changed completely the way we played. More, uh, we were more patient, uh, more patient on the ball, still playing direct football, but with a purpose. There was um, a lot more movement on the wings as well, because Ka- Cannon was basically the main outlet for uh, for any playmaking ability, with Close as well. Close was able to get off the leash a bit and go a bit further forward and be that proper box-to-box midfielder or secondary playmaker, whatever you want to call him, with Tom, with Tom Mayler sitting and just being that safety net for them. He should always start at number 10 for me. Um, backup players for number 10, I don't, I've don't. i already mentioned this, I don't want to see Marcos at number 10 ever again. Uh, Gareth Evans always puts in a solid shift whenever he plays number 10, so for me, he would be the second choice behind Cannon. But the fact that he's not mentioned making the bench nowadays is a bit of a shame. In terms of strikers to play up front with him, I think it entirely depends on the opposition. Because re- recently, Marcus has been scoring goals and playing well and linking up with the wingers to a certain to a certain extent. Sometimes his touch lets him down a lot, and so a lot of his link-up play lets him down a lot. But but he do, he does more than let's say if you put a Brett Pittman up front. Whereas with Brett Pittman, the entire aim is to give him the ball and hope he makes the space. Marquis makes his own space a lot, makes those progressive runs a lot. Uh, into it, it, and if you're against a highly defensive team uh, and a team that is very, very aggressive off the ball, like Bolton were, I would prefer Ellis Harrison. I feel, but that's the beauty of having squad depth like that. You can chop and change all the time. But no, I'm very happy that Andy Cannon's finally getting that um, prolonged start in the, in the first team, which we all wanted. And I hope it continues the rest the season yeah it's true and if we go to the uh to what people have said about it uh hutch messaged in and thanks again mate he said the fans have been calling out the cannon to start since the beginning of this season but kenny jacket knows best the I'm player sure drives does. the midfield <laughs> the player drives the midfield forwards which we've be, we been missing we only need one defensive midfielder or holding player that yeah, is something precisely. I discussed before. If you're playing at that midfield um, in the 4-2-3-1 formation, really, you can just put two of those players going forward and, and Tom Naylor in that sort of holding yeah, role. Yeah, Can't precisely. You, you, you can certainly yeah, close with, more with, freedom. With, with the deeper double pivot, you can, you can just have Tom Naylor and then he can do all the defensive stuff that we all know is very good at and give Ben Close a little bit off the leash. The main stats for Cannon in the Barnsley game, which are in my article, which you can look at on Pompey News now if you want to. It'll be around Twitter somewhere. The main stats for me were he, he Cannon easily had the highest rate of received passes, so passes passed to him, which basically means he was able to get into space for other players to pass to and then make so, uh, subsequent plays afterwards. And he had six accurate fi- uh, final third passes, which self-explanatory passes to the final third, forward passes to the penalty area, through balls, that sort of thing. And he was the best at both of those stats in that game. And that just goes to show how integral he is if you play him there. He, he's, he doesn't seem to be that, that goal-scoring attacking midfielder that Gareth Evans was last season. But no, Andy Cannon helps so much with the link-up play and the build-up play. And you can employ a high press with him as well because he, he always likes to get stuck in Excellent play. And, well, I think the person who's maybe in the middle of this is Cameron McGeehan. I would like to see Cameron McGeehan play him up to play at number 10 as well. Um, you, I think he would probably be second choice for Kenny Jacket anyway, with Gareth Evans being third choice at number 10. But uh, Cameron McGeehan played really well as a box-box midfielder against Bolton in a really tough game where it was, very, it was a very aggressive 
aggressive game with lots of tackles flying in. So yeah, I, I would love to see him as well. But but Cannon's uh, is right to start. We we all know that by now. Yeah, yeah. No, as you say, all the play basically ran through Cannon, didn't it, against Barnsley? And and the stats really back that up. And um, McGeehan obviously is Kenny Jacket's second choice. You saw Cannon come off today, and McGeehan replaced him on on the pitch, didn't he? Um, mm. He he, 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 he had an okay last quarter of an hour against Lincoln. I thought. Got stuck in a lot, which is which again what we mentioned. He, he'd probably be my second choice now because I completely forgot about him. I only had Gareth Evans on my mind, which a lot of Bumpy fans should have, should do. <laughs> but hey. yeah, I, I, I'm sure Cameron McGinn would fill in at number ten really well if it, if Andy Cannon never got injured or if or if the game was really really scrappy. But and it's, you could also say that I suppose with McGinn the. He's not quite as lightweight, is he, as Close? So I suppose if you were playing a real battling size, you could put McGeehan in for Close alongside Naylor and still keep Cannon in the number 10 position. Yeah, he can which do. Which maybe yeah. would be a little bit hard, harder tackling um, mm. without losing too much going forward, I suppose. Yeah, that helped out against Bolton, um, precisely, even though Porter didn't play very well in that game. But no, I'm glad we got these depth options now at centre midfield, whereas beforehand we were saying, oh, what centre midfielder do we need? What centre attacking midfielder do we need? It's nice that it's nice due to the fact that we got that in the squad rather than buying somebody. Jamie Marshall messages in and he says, Cannon looks like our best bet for the number 10 role from the current squad and makes a big difference compared to Marcus there. We'd prefer Harrison up top to start and Marcus off the bench if we need to change it up. That was the preferred format, wasn't it, really, before Marcus got the got the nod, I suppose, in the in the last couple of games. Yeah, well Marcus deserved it by scoring goals. Ellis Harrison had that barren run for a bit and Portsmouth were too direct in terms of the long ball from the fullbacks. But, but add, <clears throat> adding Seddon in and McGeehan really helps with that a lot. I, I, I hopefully won't see many of those games where we're just humping up, uh, pumping up the long ball aimlessly like we were in October and November. No, let's, let's really hope that doesn't, we don't ever revert back to that, mate. That'll be panic stations if that happens again, won't it? Mm. Um Jack is jacket messaging. He goes, definitely an automatic starter in the number 10 position. Don't see him as a traditional 10 and don't think Kenny will play a traditional creative 10. Which I think is something you spoke about before, Freddie, when we were talking about selecting a number 10 or a cam that people wanted in the, in the January transfer window. Mm-hmm. For me, he's there to drive with and without the ball, setting tone for the team. Also, low centre of gravity and drive makes it hard to play against the 10. Oh, precisely, yeah. Because whenever Cannon's on the ball, he very rarely loses it most of the time. And he's got that dribbling ability and low centre of gravity, which is a, which is only a good thing. Again, and the good thing about it is he, he fits that jacket mould of being able to handle himself and get into a lot of tackles, which sometimes a creative number 10 wouldn't do. So <clears throat> it, it, it fits the system. And when you have a manager like Kenny Jacket, I'm glad that he's picking players that fit the system now rather than chopping and changing every week. No, completely, and this system seems to be working, which is what we all want, obviously. But Jake Mayers, he threw a, um, a span in the works, mate. He said, it's never going to happen, but I'd like to see the 4-4-2 diamond. Naylor, centre-offensive midfield, Harness, right midfield, Curtis, left midfield, Cannon at Cam, Harrison and Marcus at strikers. Do you think it works as two up front for Pompey? Because I'm very unimpressed every time I see us play that formation. I've very rarely seen it, to be honest with you. <clears throat> uh, well, I think... The only other formation that we do, I do remember seeing that impressed was the 4-3-3. And we played that against Burnley 
Birmingham in the League Cup. And I, and that was when we played Cannon, Close and Tom Naylor. And I thought that was okay. Both controlled the possession really well. Forward passing, it was it was all good. But, uh, but um, Kojak obviously took that away and then played everyone and his mother at number 10 afterwards. But no, I, I think mm. unless <clears throat> unless Portsmouth are chasing a game and trying to get a goal, for example, at Doncaster or away, he played two up front for a bit. Um, I don't think he's going to ever start that f- straight from kickoff. He, he, uh, he's more likely to change it in the middle of a game, which Kane Jacket isn't stubborn in terms of changing his tactics if he knows it doesn't work. He did that against Bolton, and that basically helped us sort of see out the game 1-0. I think it's completely fine to bring on another striker, definitely. If we're if we're losing a game, take a midfielder off, throw a striker on, let's get the ball. Maybe you have to go a bit more direct if it's not working with the patient builder. Completely agree. That's completely fine. But I think starting the game, it's just clicking now of Cannon playing 10, you know, close or McGeehan or whoever looking a bit better in that role. Uh, I don't want to try and change the formation up right this second personally. But um, anyway, cheers, Jake. Um, John Tucker messaging. Cheers, John. He says... Need to take one less touch and look up to see a pass. Can't fault his work rate and skill. Yeah, well, uh, so that that links with the fact that we were saying that Ports have always want to play the ball really quickly, and if they had a bit more patience, then maybe there there would be less chances, but more high quality chances. If that makes sense. But yeah, yeah. I think that, I think that will just come with time and Peter and players playing in now a familiar system, and a system which I don't see. Kenny Jacket changing for a while unless uh, unless there's a very very outlandish game that he wants to change it for I think with Andy Cannon though he's he can you know want to pick the ball up and drive it forwards and press out when he's got the ball at his feet can't he um and sometimes he's going to get caught with the ball then but a lot of the time I, I think when you see times uh when I was thinking against Peterborough where he slides the ball through for Marcus Harness to get the goal there and there's little things like that when you watch him play and you think, okay, he's laid the ball off at the right time. Um, you did some analysis, didn't you, on clever through balls he was playing. So I think that game seems that part of his game, sorry, seems to be developing more and more as the season goes on. Oh yeah, he's a much better player than he was at the start of the season already, even though he had that free up spell where he wasn't getting any getting any games. That gave him the motivation to play a lot better and he should play for the rest of the for the rest of the um the season now, unless he gets injured. Samuel Oliver messaging in. Cheers, mate. And he goes, I think against Sunderland, the only change I'd make is harness for Williams. He terrorised them in the pro- stadium of light. Mm. That's probably the only changes that I would make as well. As much as I like Ryan Williams and his work rate and his effort, again, his, his end product a lot of the time is questionable. In the Barnsley game, he had about seven crosses and none of them were accurate whatsoever. Made a couple of, couple of dribbles. None of them worked either. He's a great depth piece to bring on in a pinch, but... I think the problem is that Marcus Harness has those spurts in games where he seems to control that right side of midfield, but then goes missing. Whereas with Williams, there's never there's never that peak of where Marcus Harness would be. It's always in the middle. But no, I would start Marcus Harness against Sunderland every single time. Because I remember when Cannon, Marcus Harness, and Curtis all played against Blackpool away, and they and. Those front four terrorised that defence, and I'm surprised that it, what it, that um, they didn't score more than one goal. So yeah, that would also be my only change as well. No, I, I completely agree. I've been beating the drum of you know Marcus Harness playing on the right hand side over Williams for for pretty much the same reasons as what you said, Freddie. But 
at the end of the day, I want our attacking wingers, the likes of Ronan Curtis and whoever plays on the right, Marcus Harness, to be scoring goals, to be creating goals. And if he only Precisely. scored three goals, but he got 15 assists, so I'm not bothered, you know? It's just, yeah. it needs to be one of those things. And attacking players like that need to be judged on assists and goals. And it's not just this season with us, with Ryan Williams, and don't doubt his effort, etc. his work rate, and, you know, his ability to cycle the ball can be good. But that, actually, that's if you look at his career, he's the ability to cycle the ball. Yeah, take for, possession. yeah, yeah for, for me, yeah. Wait, yeah, that, that, that's the the best thing that Williams is good at, especially since James Bolton doesn't overlap on that right-hand side a lot. His ability to range retain possession does help, uh, does help Ports with system because, for example, when I saw Marcus Harness play, a lot of the time he goes on that right wing, is looking for support and there isn't any because James Bolton's playing uh, dropping deeper. So he ends up trying to do aimless crosses around three players, which, a lot of, which obviously will work not a lot of times. So yeah, I think that's what... I think if... Uh, Bors have had a more progressive right back in the Steve Seddon mould. I think Marcus Harness would terrorise that right wing. But considering that James Bolton is there, I'm not surprised that Jack has been starting Williams recently. But I would still start Harness against Sunderland just because of his technical ability alone. Yeah, so you've got the safety side and the fun side on the left, basically, at the moment. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah so Phil messaged in. He said he looked good, so why not play him there until he doesn't? If that's where he ends up thriving, why not keep him there? Couldn't agree more, Phil. Uh, Daniel Edmonds, best thing, Cannon might not be the most creative, but puts defenders under pressure, which makes mistakes. And that's yeah, and about I, and the I, high I, press, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And that allows Ben Close to be creative behind him. Either Ben Close or Andy Cannon can be that main creative spark in the midfield, as long as as long as long the other midfielder does that more box to, traditional box-to-box role to help him out. Uh, and lastly, Lee Cross messages in. Cheers, Lee. He says, Defo Cannon for number 10. Marquis is scoring, so stick with him. Also think McGivery's got to start. Harness needs to start performing. Seddon start over Brown all day long. Well, Yeah, I pretty much agree with most of that. Well, well with Alex Bass coming in in goal, it's very fascinating because it was completely out of the blue. No idea why Jacket decided to start Alex Bass instead. Maybe because he, he just wanted to see what he had in him. Potentially, he hasn't put he hasn't put he hasn't done that much wrong since becoming the starting goalkeeper. But it's robbed a lot of people up the wrong way that I've seen on Twitter and to, who I talked to personally because there was there was well McGilvery's performances were okay, they weren't amazing. But but I don't I, I, were those performances bad enough for him to be dropped? I'm not so sure. Probably not. Think? I would have thought. No, I don't no, think I, so. I, but it's it's. It's a weird one because he spoke to people we know at Rangers and they're saying that there's no bid from their side, etc. coming in. And you know, that was a week ago, to be fair, so I probably should look up that. But you've you got to think that, you know, Brandon Houndstrip again today doesn't make the bench. There's always questions over this sort of thing. Pittman's not in the squad. He's not travelled again. Why and are people still arguing about that? <laughs> no, but are, these, are, are people here... Or what I'm trying to say is, are these three players really being shopped basically and being kept you know off the field for that reason uh, i hope that's not the case with mcgivery and houndstrup because if he because if we take them away we have no depth i would rather houndstrup be the second left back instead of brown houndstrup supports ronan curtis curses a lot more and i think he, he's a, he, he he's got a, a much higher ceiling he could be a championship fullback if played properly whereas lee brown is that solid left back if we get in the championship and he's our starting right back left back i, I won't be very happy at all 
Keep it alive. He's uh, starting right back. Left back, sorry. <laughs> um, and he also doesn't do what Steve Sadden does. He doesn't. He, he, he very rarely puts in that killer cross with his left foot. He doesn't overlap as much as Sadden does. Yes, he's that more solid defensive safety now. But 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 if we're controlling possession and with that high press, we don't we don't need stereotypical solid fullbacks. I don't think we need them. Did did, did you miss it? Did you miss his defensive efforts against Barnsley? No. Did you miss his defensive efforts against Lincoln today where we got a clean sheet? No. So so I would go for Houndstrip or Seddon at left back. And with McGilvery, if someone wants to pay stupid money for him, we might say yes, but the likelihood of that is very low. So we just have to wait until that January period is over, then we might see what happens with the rest of the team. And we can do a little recap on that, but at the moment we're we're at the twenty eight. We're creeping towards that deadline day, aren't we? And I still want us to get a centre back in, Freddie. We haven't got time to discuss that now, but I think if I had to choose, fingers between, crossed. If I had to choose between the two, I would prefer the right back instead of the centre half. But I, I, well, the key is to get both. I'm sorry, you you have to get both. If James Bolton gets injured, who are we playing at right back? Minoga for the rest of the season? Yes, he's got potential and so on, but throwing him in a playoff push at 17, that might be slightly unfair on him. And at centre-half, are you trusting that Jack, uh, that Jack what, or Yes, he played that excellent game against Scunthorpe, and I'll have a look at that probably in more detail. But we've effectively got three centre-halves, Burgess, Raggett, and what more? Because, Downing. You complete, because, because um, Jack is completely destroyed. Downing's confidence, hasn't he? Of course. He By not playing him. He, he's basically a busted flush at this point, even though he'll probably go somewhere else and be a, 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 a top-quality league one centre-half, but he's ruined now at Portsmouth. I don't see him playing for Portsmouth ever again, do you? No, not really. He's not made his starts in September, is he? Something like that in the league? Yeah, precisely. And his previous starts haven't been very good. He hasn't no. given... And he's played Oliver Hawkins at centre-half instead. Which is the biggest exactly for him. So obviously, it shows the confidence, doesn't it? it? Shows the confidence that he has in him. But you know, know, it's not he, unearned and stuff, and you know, it's 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 not worked out. So no, it it, Downing needs a move, uh, and um, I'm glad that McGee got a move as well. I'm not one of those people that hates Jacket for dumping Luke McGee like he basically did because well, McGilvery was the better goalkeeper last season. I have no complaints about. McGee being sub whatsoever and the fact that nobody came in for it to make a proper bid in for him well that's just tough luck isn't it no I know well no we'll, we'll talk about that another time Freddie because we've got to go into this Sunderland preview um, we've got about 10 minutes left before I've got to go because we've got to edit this and publish it and it's nearly midnight so Sunderland our little friends up north um, they're a club aren't they so obviously, <laughs> we lost, obviously we lost them in the playoffs Last what, season, what a response! They're a club, aren't they? Oh. Yeah, their meltdown, melt, their meltdown, legendary meltdowns on Twitter. Their owner who doesn't who doesn't have pints with the fans in the away stand anymore because he's scared. Yep. Oh. <laughs> Not only that, mate. Not only that, but Phil Parkinson has su- suddenly turned round the Sunderland uh, support into thinking that maybe. He knows how to manage a football team because Sunderland have come out. They're not drawing nil-nil anymore. They're not just drawing 1-1 every game, not losing dreadfully, you know, no shots on target because Phil Parkinson has decided 
rather than playing 4-4-1-1 or whatever it was playing, it was absolutely hopeless with no shots on target. He thought, fuck it, I can't do any worse than what I was doing before. I'll go 3-4-3. And do you know what? It's it's, it's dangerous, isn't it? I always thought thought Sunderland were a good team. You you just have to look at them on paper and go, oh, Lyndon Gooch, Chris McGuire, so many other players as well. They're they're a dangerous team. They should be a playoff team, as Portsmouth should have been when they were playing dreadfully. So... It would be a really tough game on Saturday, but I, and I hope Portsmouth do get a positive result out of it. But I think we can. The way that the last game Sutherland didn't pull up any trees, even with the previous manager, they basically capitalised on two defensive mistakes, and then won the game through that. That doesn't impress me that much, to be honest. If Portsmouth do what they did against Barnsley, maintain the high press and uh, and play on top of them, I think Portsmouth can win that game. I'm not worried about it at all. And what they've done is, so obviously, they, you know, McGeady's not in the team, etc. So what they've done is, I think, they needed to be more dynamic, sort of less, you know, one-trick pony. It was it was before, it was almost like Pompey were when we had Pittman as the only outsource of, of attack. And it was all, let's go through McGeady, let's get the ball to McGeady, let's get it forward to McGeady. Was now they've got a lot more of a balanced team. Now, playing the three at the back for them is actually quite interesting because Luco Nine's been absolutely handcuffed, hasn't he, playing at right back for them as their only solution at right back. So, pushing him further up into the midfield makes sense and creates space. Uh, playing Charlie Wyke up front with Gooch on one side and Chris Maguire. And um, you can see how well that's working for you them. Can, you can see the season. that Wyke would give so much space for Maguire and Gooch in, in, well, in yeah, that front three. Exactly. Reminds me Reminds me of reminds me of Hawkins, Lowe and Curtis last season. Pretty what similar. it is in that sense, you've got Maguire with nine goals in the league this season. A Pompey favourite, Chris Maguire, that is. Um, with Lyndon Gooch playing on the other side with seven goals this season. Uh, Charlie White's got three goals. But when you look at um, the assists he's got this season, actually less than I thought. But Maguire's then again got five, leading the way for them. Um, and then you look at the midfield, it's pretty solid, isn't it? They've got George Dobson in this season, a player that I actually really like. I think he's quite a good technical um, He's quite a good technical midfielder. Max Power, he just gets stuck in, doesn't he? You've got Jordan Wills at the back, along with uh, our mate Oz Turk as well, um, and Joe Lynch as well. So they're, pr- they're three pretty solid defenders. I-, I like Jordan Wills, I think he's a good player. Oz Turk's always very solid. Hope he gets sent off in this game. Um, and McLaughlin at the back. How I've been speaking to people we know over at Sunderland. Um, you know, I'll be going on Roker Report tomorrow to do the usual yearly podcast for them as well. Oh, cool. What do you what do you think about about Sunderland and can we win the game? Because I think this is a game that at home we should be looking to win it. I think Portsmouth should be looking to win every single game at home, and that's not well, out of our saying, saying we can, how Portsmouth should we can be. win it. Yeah, yeah. I, I think we can win it as well. Sunderland have improved a lot, but then again, their manager is Phil Parkinson, and he's never pulled up any trees in League One, has he? If you think about it, yes, they, they're going to they're go on that period where they're relying on high end talent like Maguire and Gooch and Dobson and so on. But Portsmouth did that, and when it, and when it came to the vital time of the playoffs, it didn't work. So it's entirely down to the tactics that are empro- employed long term. And I'm still not convinced that Sunderland can beat Portsmouth at home. If it's a draw, it's not the end of the world for me. But then again, I think Portsmouth can win this game to one and nick it and grind it out like they have done previously. 
and yeah, and I think and the, I, I think it'll put a massive dent into promotion chances if they don't. No, I agree. If if you look at the fact they're playing three at the back as well, there will be space in behind for the likes of Curtis Harness if he yeah, plays and, 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 Seddon, and, etc. And, and considering how um, with the more adventurous play in midfield, and Ports have always like always let's go out on the wing and put in crosses. That's Kenny Jackett's bread and butter football. So even even if they have three centre halves. They could be stretched. They could be stretched, and there and there could be spaces to found in the underlap. So I, I, I'm not worried about. I, I, I like. I don't. I, it's great that they changed their formation. Something that's better, but I think it's still exploitable. I think it is as well, especially when Ports are playing at home. I think that's a formation that actually uh, we match up quite well against. When we go away from home, and sometimes it's a little bit too deep, and then the striker gets isolated up front against three centre-backs. I think that's when we really struggle against that formation. But playing at home, there's going to be a lot of space in behind for the likes of Cannon to get in behind that midfield as well, um, and then, then distribute the ball left and right. So no, I think we can definitely win this game. Score prediction time, Freddie. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go bold here. Um, I think we're going to win 3-1. I think it's going to be a quite similar game in some senses to... I think we'll bring the intensity from the Barnsley game to this Sunderland game. Um, and I can see us running out 3-1. So I think we, maybe they'll get a consolation back at, at 2-1. Um, and then hopefully we'll stretch it forward. Uh, Ronan Curtis to carry on his scoring touch at the moment. Um, and yeah, I, I, I really think this is a game that we should be looking to go out and beat them at. Obviously, it's not an easy game, but I think we've uh, I think we've got we've got this game in the bag, mate. Yourself? Uh, uh, pretty much from most of what you said. I, I would probably I would um, think that Ports of I hope they play pressing football right from the off, but there is always that sort of inkling that Jacket might not do that for the first ten minutes or quarter of an hour. So um, I'm going to go for a one or draw. Be conservative on that one, but I still think Portsmouth could potentially win the game. I won't be surprised if they win the game. No, no, that's cool. And uh, are there going to be any fights or red cards in this game? <laughs> are there going to be? Are there going to be any fans punching Sunderland players? I hope not. That was embarrassing when that happened. Yeah, please, please, no. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, public service announcements: Please don't punch any Sunderland players if they go into the <laughs> if they go into the stands. Please. I, I, I was in New, I was in Newcastle. Uh, work in a casino dealing cards to about seven Sunderland fans when that happened and, and my night was horrible afterwards so please don't do that ever again <laughs> yeah and if you are going to do that please dress a little bit better than that bloke who did it in the first place oh what a god disgrace. what was he wearing I can't remember I just looked at the state mate looking at the <laughs> state embarrassment to the city mate literally I was looking oh, at him no. thinking what the fuck um also, the only other thing I'll, I'll talk about is that it's quite funny that Sunderland set off a pyro the other day, didn't they? <laughs> oh, that, that was so hypocritical as well, because they, they, I think they let off more pyro than the Portsmouth did at their ground as well. Interesting. We'll, we'll see. Players. But um, oh. anyway, love uh, to I, see I was, it. I, I, I was there when that happened. And yes, it was poor judgment from the guy, from the kid who did it. Yeah, but, oh, there, don't tell me it was that dangerous, please. I mean, I know it was thrown into the family stand, but God, it didn't hit anybody. And yeah, 
And that's probably why a lot of the fans don't like each other. But hey ho, we'll move on from that, shall we? Indeed, we shall. And on that absolutely happy note, mate, uh, we'll finish up. Freddie, thanks for coming on the show. People, please go to the Pompey News Now Twitter feed or the Pompey News Now website and check out Freddie's article. It is definitely worth a read. Um, I've shared it on the PO Forecast Twitter as well, as well as my own one. So that's obviously how much I like it. So go read it, check it out. Uh, maybe if we get promoted, Freddie, you can be the new writer for The Athletic. <laughs> well well maybe we'll see it depends how much they're doing with championship clubs but that'll be a dream obviously we'll there see go, always, a mate, to mate. always a pleasure to come on mate that's awesome so Freddie um, we'll speak soon mate uh, and until next time you have been listening to the PO forecast for Pompey News Now available on SoundCloud Spotify and Apple Podcasts follow PO forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle!